This episode is brought to you by The Island by Adrian McKinty, the international best-selling author of The Chain. So how far would you really go to protect your family? What would you really be capable of if your family was threatened? This mother and father are about to find out. Propulsive, terrifying, and blade sharp. The Island is the next thrilling adventure from the mastermind behind the award-winning global sensation The Chain and a family story unlike any you've ever read. The Island will be released in Australia on the 24th of May, so pre-order today. I read this book in two days. It's compelling, page-turning, and character-driven, and it's definitely one of my favorite reads this year. But be warned, once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 35,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm Uh. feeling sick. Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another Words and Nerds podcast where we bring literary goodness to your ears wherever you are. You might hear some noise behind me tonight and it's hail and there's nothing I can do about it. Sydney, we love a bit of wet weather lately. So if you hear that noise, that's what it is. Today, I welcome best-selling author and illustrator Scott Stewart of the best-selling My Shadow is Pink and the soon-to-be best-selling picture book My Shadow is Purple. He's also author-illustrator of Who's a the very first you, how to be a real man and alone. Welcome back, Scott Stewart. Danny Bertie, that <laughs> hail, I can hear that hail coming in strong every now and then. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's so good for podcasting, especially to have the hail just begin the moment we started this conversation. <laughs> Of course. How could it be any other way? So congratulations on having two book releases very close together. My Shadow is Purple, the follow-up to My Shadow is Pink. And alone, everywhere I go, I see these two books side by side in bookshops. It must be amazing for you. Yeah, it's fantastic. And to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous when the two uh, publication dates were announced and when I first got the word of when they were being published and seeing that they were just a month apart I was a little bit nervous about whether or not I'd be able to adequately promote each one uh, but they're just doing fantastic everywhere I go seems to have them you know they're uh, yeah they're, they're doing better than I could have imagined so I'm absolutely loving it mm, I like it I like seeing them in bookshops um, they're usually side by side and so I was like oh why it's like why would you just buy one you go into a bookshop you just buy them both right yeah, does that make I, sense I was in a bookstore the other day and I did not go up and say like hi I've written a book can I sign some um, and I was just there to purchase books. Um, and uh, this this uh, this woman walked up and tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, did you write this book here? I said, oh, yes, I did. And she said, would you mind signing one? I was like, okay, no worries. And then she just goes, ka-tunk, like, here's the stack. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right then, I'll... Uh, I'll cancel my lunch plan. Um, I love that. But, uh, you yeah, should have was... said, while I do this for you, I'd really like a salmon and avocado sushi roll. So, 
but it was so cool just seeing like how uh you know how well those books are being received i mean i did a um i did a reading in reading funnily enough um and uh they had purchased like 40 copies uh in time for the reading the day before and i turned up the next morning and they had like 10 left you wow, know that's um, amazing so they're they're you know, I'm really, really happy with how they're doing. And I think coming out of a pandemic where everybody's been stuck inside, any book called Alone is probably going to go okay. <laughs> well, it's the same at um, Somerset Story Fest when we were there. You know, we checked out the bookshop every day and your books, they were gone. You know, by the time the three days were ended, you know, your books were sold out. So they are really resonating with so many people. Before we get too carried away, I mean, you know, you'd have to be living under a rock if you haven't heard of My Shadow is Pink. But give us an elevator pitch for My Shadow is Purple and Alone. So My Shadow is Purple is really uh, about a young child who has a dad with the bluest shadow you can imagine and a mum with the pinkest shadow you can imagine. Uh, and this young child uh, has something different. They have a purple shadow. And in this world where we've separated people into blue shadows and pink shadows, which is a not so subtle metaphor for boys and girls you know, where does somebody who feels like maybe they're neither maybe they're both where do they fit in and so this is an exploration of you know, a young child who is non-binary in this story and then not just discovering themselves but also going on to show other kids that they don't have to be restricted to just this blue and pink binary. Mm, I love that. And I read it to my kids and they had a lot of questions, which was cool because I think, you know, at first they read it and they just enjoyed it and they put it down and then they read it again and they were, okay, so what does this mean, mum? And so it really opened up some conversations and they're only seven and nine, but I was still able to explain that to them. You know, they're all over marriage equality and, you know, they're really interest, interested in that and we've watched the Mardi Gras together so they're all around this kind of stuff and um, they were really interested in My Shadow is Purple and they were like yeah that is that's a great idea you know to make people feel as though they can just be themselves so I love how you're able to have those really great complex conversations with kids like it's fantastic. Yeah well what's really funny um, and which what I noticed straight away when I was starting to you know, read My Shadow is Pink to um, to kids and if you haven't heard of my shadow of pink it's about a young boy who loves you know dresses and fairies and princesses and all things that we've ran you know, arbitrarily categorized as for girls um and uh when i would finish the story and i would kind of say to the group of kids you know what color are your shadows nobody put themselves into blue or pink you know mm. everybody was you know, my shadow is orange because I love doing this and this. And, you know, my shadow is yellow because I just feel happy all the time. My shadow is rain. Like everybody put themselves outside mm. of those two categories. Stereotypes, yeah. yeah. No, I and, love that. And as, you know, the audiences got older, you know, adults who I asked almost always put themselves inside those two categories really that's really yeah, interesting i would never always. say that my shadow is pink never <laughs> i know 
you know, I I would never say my shadow is blue. I'm always like, my shadow is yellow, you know. Um, And so I just started seeing this and I really started to think, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, expand that world, you know, to really represent not just kids who don't feel they're in blue or pink, but also the real kind of experience that most kids Mm. are feeling, which is they're exploring who they are, you know, they love this thing, but they also love that thing. You know, yeah. they're, they're possibly thinking about their gender, you know, and it's never so stringently binary as mm. like Absolutely. And, so, you know, you say, you know, your son loves all of those things, but my son did too. I actually think it's quite normal. I hate to use the word normal, but I actually think it's quite usual and common for boys and girls just to be attracted to all sorts of different things. But it's our conditioning that says, oh, no, you can't do this. You have to do this. You know, because my son was the same. He loved fairy wands and loved where he still wears his sister's dress around because it's got pockets and it's comfortable. <laughs> and because they're sparkly and they're yeah. fun. And, and they're kids. And how much of the uh, the boys' shopping oh. uh, at Kmart has sparkles? And, you know, right. They, um, yeah, they all love you know, exploring. And yeah. there are definitely some boys who are just, straight no i like this thing and this thing genuinely not because you but so many kids like things way outside those boundaries and really like when i first went shopping for my son when he was born you have two rows of blue and green clothes and then you have 50 rows of sparkly pink things which are really cool and i think geez why why are they so ripped off all really cool but arbitrarily smaller for some reason too yes, yes. it's a strange <laughs> strange world we live in yeah. so tell me what alone is about so alone is all about planet earth waking up in the vastness and darkness of space and she's looking for a friend and she can't find one you know she meets all the other planets she meets the sun and nobody wants to be her friend because they are not like her. And, uh, you know, big calamity happens. You know, she thinks a friend is coming in this fiery, fire-off object that's getting closer and closer and closer. And uh, she realises maybe that's not a friend, maybe it's some bad news. But in that, you know, she discovers the friendship that she's been looking for. And on a deeper level, you know, one that isn't restricted to... Uh, characters who are the same you know they're very different characters who become best friends Mm. I love that because kids need to sometimes just because you go to a particular school it doesn't mean you find your people you know and so it's nice to know that your people are out there but sometimes you're not going to find them straight away it's a really nice message oh my goodness you did you find your people through like high school and stuff I think I found a couple of my yeah yeah like two yeah, it's taken me till I'm almost 40 to have found a lot yeah. of my people, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. Like, I, I'm still besties. I think they're more my sisters because I've known them for so long in primary school. But then, you know, so they're my you know sisters that I've known for a very long time. But then, yeah, I think it takes you a while to find your tribe. And I think you don't find it till you're older because you don't even know who you are until you're older. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I, I think you know, one of the things that I was actually talking with somebody tonight about was 
you know, there is so many bad things about kids growing up with social media. You know, yeah. But one of the good things about them growing up is they don't need to wait 30 years to find yeah. their time. Exactly. They can find that early and they can feel that acceptance early and they can find the people who love the same things early rather than, you know, just always feeling like that outsider until mm. they randomly meet someone at a bookstore wearing the same thing <laughs> going, hey, you look cool. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God, you're my platonic soulmate. And it took me 30 exactly. years to find you. <laughs> yeah. So in the, uh, the terribleness that is so much of social media, there is this beauty too. Yeah, totally. And that's the book community. You know, how amazing, yeah. supportive, encouraging – is the book community, you know, and you find each other through social media. So that's that's amazing. And you're absolutely right that you can find your tribe a bit sooner. Yeah, I mean, I um, when I first started to write, I knew not a single soul who uh, was also interested even in writing, let alone was an author. You know, <laughs> and like my first book came out, I didn't know any other authors. Your know, second book came out, I didn't know any other authors. And then I really put this dedicated time into trying to you know, find a community online and then kind of bring them offline and trying to create real friendships you know, in that same community where people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know? And understand the struggles that you might be having or just the you're so happy because you solved the character arc and you're everybody else in the world is like, what does that even mean? But <laughs> this group is like, oh, that's so cool, you know. So um, Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it, is, it is interesting space too because writing is quite solitary and then your book comes out and you have to speak to everybody and then you're back in your you know, you're a room and on your own again, not knowing if what you're writing is any good because sometimes you just can lose perspective entirely. So it's really good to have that sort of tribe around you as well as, you know, people see the successes of writing. You know, they see these beautiful picture books that you have out. They see the success of My Shadow is Pink and Purple and your other beautiful books that you have out, but they don't see behind the scenes of, you know, the rejections that you've had or, um, you know, the rewrites or the struggles and, you know, the, everyone just sees the shiny book book which is great because there needs to be a bit of magic in book book creating and selling but you know it's it's the other creatives that that get that you know yeah you know it's it, one thing you said in there I'm going to jump on a little because uh it's that idea of you know, is anything I'm writing good mm. <laughs> um, yeah and almost every single book I have that has been published was an idea that I thought sucked and I was talked into sending it to my agent or finishing writing it by somebody else. Wow. And I was focused on the other story that, well, this one's so much better. And then I'd send it to my agent and she's like, ah, well, this other one that you sent, you know. <laughs> I love that. Like, oh. you know, and I, I mean, I definitely... I definitely struggle with the skill of separating myself from my work enough to know which ones are commercial enough, if that's mm, a yep. word, you know, yep. um, or that might be liked by other people. And my wife is fantastic at it. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's one of those things where 
uh, you know, my wife says, oh, you shouldn't be focusing on that book. You, know, you should be focusing on this one instead. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm the author here. <laughs> and three years later, that's the one that's being picked up. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I love it's, like, that. it's like every single time you know mm, um, and mm. so I really trust her judgment uh when she says look that story it's not your best but that one that you've just kind of briefly mentioned that has some interest to it. mm. it's know, interesting um, isn't it because you, sometimes you're just too close that you lose perspective entirely on what you're doing one of the best uh statements I heard around that was your second best idea is the one you should be focusing mm, on. Yeah. Because your best idea probably sucks, but you're so close to it. <laughs> you know, it seems so much cooler in my head, but your second best idea. Is- mm, no, totally. Um, I used to say that when I was a teacher teaching English and I used to say to the kids, like, go get your first idea, your second idea, your third one, write the fifth idea. <laughs> That's the one I want to see. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's almost never that first one. Mm, it's interesting. Uh, it's heartbreakingly. <laughs> <laughs> but so I many... think, yeah, but I think the other ideas sort of come from that first spark, you know, that first spark of an idea that may not work out. The others are sort of derived from that, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's so much in my book that has come from working through a terrible story that I thought was awesome. <laughs> You know, um, and taking that little nugget from it, mm. you know, and putting it into something that works a whole lot better. I mean, mm. you know, there are, you know, you know, almost all my books have spent a really long time just trying to figure out what the destination was in them. Yeah. You know, um, where I have this idea for a story, but I don't know where it's going. And the story is terrible because of that. <laughs> And then one day I wake up and I have that endpoint, mm-hmm. you know, and now I can create a story from it. And now yeah. I can pull all that stuff out of all the bits that didn't work and start putting them in to create something. Yeah. The end point is so important, but I think it's the hardest point to get to because you kind of know what you want to say and what kind of quirky things you want in your story. But then it's like, how do I end this? With with my book that's coming out, Scott, I had like 19 endings one, before. one of your 653 books that we talked about? <laughs> the one, the first one in August. Okay. 19 endings, Scott, 19. Like it's a picture book. <laughs> it took me nineteen endings to get it right, and I've kept every single one on my laptop. Yep. And have you looked back at them and thought, actually, you know what? Ending number seven, I still think that's the best one. Yeah. No, I I actually think the 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 work that you I did on it was totally worth it because I it took me nineteen goes to get the right ending. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's that's funny. a weird I mean, thing. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I definitely, my longest process on any story is, uh, I, I kind of have a weird place to start with my stories. I don't really write a story until I have my, um, uh, like, elevator pitch mm-hmm. for the story. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what I work from. You know, a young child born with a, a dad who has a blue shadow and a mum who has a pink shadow and their shadow is different and they must learn to accept them. Like once I have that, yeah, you know, then you I can, can go. Work. Mm. But so many of the things I am working on currently or have worked on you know, before, <laughs> uh, I have this idea and I know the idea is good, 
but I just can't quite figure out that end element where I'm trying to take yeah. that. Yeah. And like I have a junior fiction series coming out next year and it took me like seven years to wow. figure out the end. And once I figured out the end, I mean, this is my process. A lot of people have totally different processes. But once I figured out the end, three weeks later it was written. Yeah. Mm, you know? yep. um, I, I totally agree with you, Scott. I reckon 90% of writing is thinking. Yeah. yeah that's really? Because yeah, someone yeah. was saying, have you written that thing yet? I said, no, no, I'm still thinking about it. And they thought I was obviously procrastinating, right? And I'm like, no, no, this is actually it's a real part of my process. And so I spend yeah. like 90% of the time thinking about it and 10% with actual, you know, fingers to the keyboard. I find that when I am really intensely thinking and trying to um, like come up with that ending or trying to come up with you know where the story goes or anything like that it it doesn't lead to very good no, ideas no. but that time then percolates in the background and then when I have distracted busy time like I'm doing the dishes <laughs> or, you know, then those ideas start firing and you know, yep. a little bit of magic is created and I'm like oh I could actually do this instead but that the really hardcore thinking time is so vital because it gives some it gives you some kind of background noise yeah it's almost fuel isn't it yeah definitely. Mm, yeah I find that uh, I find that is very common with creatives I remember speaking to Jack Heath and he said he was he's stuck for an idea stuck for an idea stuck for an idea he gets in the car drives 10 minutes to a particular cafe and 100% of the time he'll solve his problem that he had in his writing amazing it's amazing, right? Because I said, how long's this drive? I'm thinking, is it like two-hour drive? It's like literally 10 minutes. I want to know what the name of the cafe is. <laughs> if it's a magic cafe. Can I go to this cafe too? <laughs> um, I'll meet you there. I think it's going to be a bit of a drive for you, though. I think it's in Canberra. <laughs> so I think you're going to have a – you could write, you know, War and Peace on your journey. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, I um, I definitely – like that's the longest time. And then for, for a lot of the books, that I'm writing, I I don't just want to have like this external journey where you know we need to slay the dragon or there's a yeah. prince stuck in a tower and we need to save him. You know, um, I like to also have all right. So what's not just the internal journey of you know maybe it's something really simple like you know they're lonely and they need to learn to you know that friendship doesn't just have to look like themselves. You. Know? Mm. Um, maybe it's something different you know, but I also am always trying to if I can and I fail at it more often than <laughs> not but I am always trying to see if I can get some kind of philosophical you know belief journey in there so yep. like my shadow is purple like there is this true belief that exists out there that there are blue and pink shadows yeah. And the really narrow viewpoint of it is, well, that's all there are. Mm. And then finding a way in the story to give it a more generous, open-hearted you know, definition. Well, yes, there are still blue and pink shadows, but there's also so much more. You know? And trying to find a way to flip some kind of simple concept into a much more open-hearted philosophy, I spend way too much time thinking about that. Oh, but totally worth it, obviously. 
Well, I, I mean, hopefully. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, I mean, the incredible success of My Shadow is Pink, was it difficult to follow that up, you know, because that's often very difficult to do. How did you do that? Um, I mean, the honest answer is probably your best encapsulated by, and I am not comparing myself to her, but Liz Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, you know, she had this fear that maybe my best work is behind me. Yeah. Um, and I never had that fear until somebody really close to me said, so this is probably the uh, the the best one that you'll ever write, huh? Oh, and great. Like, Thanks. <laughs> well, I didn't think it before, but now <laughs> I'm worried about that. <laughs> um, because, um, you know, Scott, what writers need is more self-doubt, right? I know. We never have enough. <laughs> no, <laughs> never have enough. Um, and so I, uh, I started to retreat into, um, a place that wasn't really safe to create. Mm -hmm. Um, I started to think about, well, if I'm going to write a follow-up to this, it better be a bestseller, you know, and not just, it it better be a better bestseller than you think, you know, and so it's really damn hard to write a bestseller, but it's not that hard to write a story you know um and so it took me a while to free myself um and to be able to just say all right well nobody needs to see this draft let's just write a crap draft let's just take it somewhere and it's probably not going to be where it goes but let's just take it somewhere let's just explore yeah and so doing that a few times until i started to separate you know the uh well this has to have this result mm. you know, my life is depending on it <laughs> um, from just well what's the story that i want to write and that i feel needs to be out there in the world yeah. and why don't i just write that and if yeah. people like it, it's amazing if people don't i mean that's how i wrote the first one mm. um but getting to that point it was harder than I thought it would be yeah. you know um it was it, I found it really difficult to separate that um expectation I yeah guess. and that's and the it, killer of art isn't it the expectation yeah. it's going to kill your creativity and I mean I don't I don't even necessarily think there was expectation placed externally upon me <laughs> you know it was all just this self-expectation where well if I'm going to write this it better be damn good. <laughs> but we're our own worst enemies, right? Like I don't think that half of us would speak to our friends the way our internal voice often speaks to ourselves. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when it comes to uh, my writing, uh, actually, you know what, less so my writing, but my illustrating, holy moly, if <laughs> I were to speak to another artist, you know, the way I speak to myself as an illustrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I could never talk to that person again. You know, <laughs> uh, so much judgment, so much doubt, um, so much uh, expectation, I think, is a really good word. Um, and not being able to create the thing that's in your head. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And, yeah. you know, I mean, one thing that's really worked for me is I, start every session now where I'm writing or illustrating like if I'm writing I do a deliberately bad story writing session oh I like this just for like five ten minutes what's the crappiest story I can (laughs) write right now 
And I mean, the worst part about it is invariably half of them end up okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, what's the stupidest thought? I'm sitting on a couch. Okay, well, this couch turns into a werewolf and an octopus is going to come down from the sky. And oh, let's just write that story. I kind of like know? that story, Scott. So just something <laughs> ridiculous just to get <laughs> movement. Yeah. You know? And then once I'm moving, then, you know, things are a little, I feel safer. Yeah. So I can start creating. Get rid of that self-doubt, get rid of that expectation and just create. I mean, it's, it's easier, you know, to say that than to do it. But, you know, the, a creative space doesn't come from all that pressure on you, does it? No. Oh, my goodness. You know, things are easier said than done. Yeah. If, if I could do all the things <laughs> I say, my life would be so different. Uh, <laughs> yep. I'm really good at, like, a Sunday night saying, this Monday is the day. It's this is the Monday. It's all gonna change. <laughs> this is the Monday where I'm gonna eat better and work out more and be kinder to myself. And uh, those Mondays just keep coming. <laughs> well, there's there's plenty left to come, Scott. Well, so, <laughs> but I th- I I think too. You know, talking about that kind internal voice, I've actually made a real effort to stop that really critical, damaging self internal voice and say, hang on would you speak to and i insert one of my best friend's names into that sentence would i speak to this person like that and 100 percent, the answer is no and so then i really stop myself from speaking to myself like that you know and it's it's a hard thing and it's a deliberate thing you've got to do but i think it's so important yeah i mean i was taught this technique once which i've used three times you know so I don't even know if I should talk about it because I'm not actively practicing. <laughs> well, now it. I'm intrigued, obviously. Uh, but the three times I used it, it was phenomenal. Oh, well, share. <laughs> um, and it was basically, you know, um, I would go for a walk, like I'm feeling stuck, you know, and I'm just totally in my head and I can't create. And Scott, you suck. How can you not, like, you're a terrible writer. You're probably the worst writer that has ever existed in the face of the <laughs> planet um and i'd go for a walk and every person i pass you know which is easy because i live in the city you know so every person i pass i would just think in my head man i hope you have an amazing day mm. you know and by the time i've passed 10 people i'm in a great mood yeah and i'm thinking the same thing about myself yeah and then i go back to the desk and i am just i like, love that I, I do a similar thing with compliments. Like I never give them out fakely because then it defeats the entire purpose of compliments. But I'm a compliment giver. And I feel like not only does it make that person feel good, it makes you feel good, you know, because how many compliments do you get on average in a day or a week, Scott? I bet it's low, right? The answer is not enough. Exactly. Never enough. And, you know, some people have said to me, I remember that day like 10 years ago. I thought you were really cool. I'm like, I could have really dealt, like, I could have really heard that that day because I was having a terrible day. The compliments are not only never enough, they're not enough, like, there's not enough of uh, S on them. It's always like, you're good at, you look good, but it's never, you look the best, you know, or you're great at that. No, you're the greatest at that. (laughs) Uh, I I want more of those compliments. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think as a society too, we're a bit weird at accepting compliments. You know, someone gives you a compliment and you straight away want to be self-deprecating. So I'm really trying to practice the, oh, thank you so much. But it feels really awkward. But I think we need to keep trying to do that. 
I cannot even meet someone's eye as they are giving me a compliment. Right? It's so awkward, but why do we do this? Why? So awkward. (laughs) Well, Scott, I think you're amazing. Oh, thank you, Danny. You're pretty incredible too. (laughs) See how I giggled? I couldn't even say thank you. (laughs) Now, Scott... You are a writer of many, many books. I want to know, and many coming out too. I'm very excited about your junior fiction series. What defines a Scott Stewart book? Ooh, um, Mm. you know, I think uh, it was definitely when I first started writing, there was um, a very strong desire that every book um, would be something very empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still work to that. But I think now what I'm really focused on is not just the empowerment side, but that you can see yourself in the book. Yeah. You're in a very specific story that has nothing to do with you. Like in that specificity lies the universal. That's something that I'm really putting so much effort into at the moment. Maybe it doesn't, nobody, maybe nobody else thinks that my book's that way and I still need to work more on it. But that's what I'm really working on at the mm. moment to create that universal resonance, resonance in a very specific story. Yeah, I love that. And I've, you know, obviously you are doing that, Scott. I mean, just by looking at, you know, the books you've coming, you're having coming out now, like Pink and Purple and Alone. I mean, I think you really are, really are nailing that universal resonance. So I don't think you have to worry about that. I think you're there. <laughs> well, you. Yeah. I will accept your compliment and I will go home being like, got you stuck at it. You need to keep keep, keep trying. (laughs) Well, as always, Scott, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I love watching your journey on social media. I love seeing your family. And it was so nice to meet them in person at Somerset because you go, oh, a real person to the, you know, the TikTok video or whatever. So that was really cool because I think, you know, you've built this beautiful, um, you know, this beautiful little family that, you know, you share with us on social media and is definitely a part of, you know, your stories that you put out in the world too. So I think it gives them that extra special edge. So always a pleasure talking to you, Scott. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see what else you've got in store for us. Thank you, Danny. It was such a pleasure to, to like in person meet you too. Um, and yeah, such a pleasure to be on here. I always, always love that. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. No worries, bye.